Welcome to Subculture. This is a podcast about the many unique, varied, and sometimes little-known groups that people find themselves relating to in our society. In today's world, everything runs on culture. Who you are, what you believe in, what you think about yourself, and the way we relate to the world is all defined by the choices we make and the people we choose to spend time with. How do we decide where we belong? Have you ever thought about changing who you are? Have you ever thought about joining a club, a group, a gang, or a clique? What makes us who we are? What makes us decide where to fit in? That's what this podcast will explore. Every week, I will interview an individual from a different subculture and try to get at the thing that makes them tick. My name's Chris Harper, and this is another episode of Subculture. Today, I'm talking to actor and comedian, Rich Chastler. Rich, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Thanks, Chris. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking to me about the subculture that you belong to, which is comedian. That's a, that's a oh boy! Well, I don't know. You know, comedian is a subculture of the entertainment industry, which is a subculture. Sure. It's subcultures within subcultures. Correct. <laughs> it's more like a sub subculture. That's pretty cool. So I, I just like to ask everyone if you would just like introduce yourself, say your name, where you're from, where you live, maybe how old you are. If you want to just give us some general information about yourself. Sure. Well, my full name is Rich Chasler. And uh, I am originally from New York. I live in Los Angeles. You know, I work in the entertainment industry as a stand-up comedian for many, many years. Actor, a voiceover actor, uh, podcast host now. I've done some directing, writing, uh, ice skating, and I can spackle. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty uh, wide range of skills, man. So I can hear the New York accent a little bit. I get you get a lot of that when you're living out in California. People ask you about your accent. You know, when I first moved here, it was really thick and heavy. I mean, I had been here like just a couple months. I started at public school here, and it was really bad. And people would say to me things like, "Say talk, say walk, say water." <laughs> what kind of culture shock is it to go from New York to living in LA? Well. You know, I was a kid when we moved here. I've been back and forth to New York several times since, but I was yeah. uh, just going into junior high school. So I kind of took to it pretty quickly. It was, I went from, you know, bike riding and playing street hockey, you know, and a lot of sports in New York yeah. to moving here and it being a lot of surfing and skateboarding. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a lot different. Are you a surfer, man? Do you surf? I haven't for a long time, but I did for a very long time, and I would like to pick it back up again this summer. Yeah, man, I uh, I live in Charleston, South Carolina, right by the beach, and, uh, you know, it's a big surf town. I'm never There's really... big surf in Charleston. Yes, there is. Yeah, I've never really learned how to surf, but it's, like, on my list of things I really want to teach myself how to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very... It's it's it, it possesses something that I find very similar to stand up comedy, and that is that it's just you and you're not relying on anybody else. And uh, there's something very zen about that security, knowing that it's just you and you alone. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I like the, the zen vibes of surfing. I never thought about that as it would apply to stand up comedy. But I guess you can uh, tell me a little bit more about that as we get talking. Sure. So what was your childhood like there in L.A., man? What did your parents do? What, you know, how was school for you? What was your life like? I was uh, an immediate latchkey kid. I have a brother and a sister. Yeah. And my father worked in the women's clothing industry for a million years. Right. And my mom is a doctor. And <laughs> so uh, she's a head doctor, you know, a shrink eating. So, uh you know, my life here was a little bit different. I started taking public transportation and yeah. I became very independent. You know, it was a time in the world where there was a lot of freedom. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm living in Los Angeles as a teen. 
you know, entertainment capital of the world, you know, and um, it was just, uh, it was kind of exciting, actually. Yeah, I totally get that, man. Even though we grew up in totally different parts of the world, I was, I can totally relate to that, like being a latchkey kid and like all the freedom that we had when we were kids, man. I don't even think kids like today even understand like what our life was like. No, what used to, I, I, my parents moved here and I was living up in the hills and you couldn't really walk down to, you know, the civilization. So you'd have to ride your bike, but my mom didn't want us riding our bike down Sepulveda Boulevard, which is a very busy street. So instead, I, I, I did a much safer thing. I would hitchhike. <laughs> right. You come home at you know, leave first thing in the morning, you come home at night, you cook all your own meals, you know. Yeah. 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 And I was very active in after school stuff. I did a lot of theater. So, you know, I was always staying after school anyway. What yeah. got you into um did living in LA? Is that what got you going into like the, the entertainment? feel like no actually i was born with it it's in my blood it's in my family my uncle was the voice of popeye and uh the og popeye yeah wow yeah and then he was the voice of howdy doody and he did like five of the voices on underdog he basically did every character except for underdog who was voiced by wally cox but he was like Riff Raff and Simon Bar Sinister, and you know he did a lot of cartoons and stuff. And then his son, uh, my cousin Lewis, is a big Broadway actor. And he's done a lot of movies and TV as well. So it was kind of in the blood. And when I was, uh, I guess I had just turned seven, I started playing drums. And that same year, first grade, and then that same year I started doing theater in elementary school, and that just carried over. What was the first thing that you uh, that you were in? Do you remember? Yeah, the first play I did was Jack and the Beanstalk. Jack and the Beanstalk. I didn't even know there was a play of Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, there is an elementary school when the music teacher writes it as a play. <laughs> right on. <laughs> yeah. And what did you play? Or were you I Jack? Played, no, I was not, and I was very upset. That's how I knew I had a future as an actor. I was very upset I wasn't cast as Jack. I was a, uh, they called them readers. We did like the narrating and stuff in between. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then after that, I, geez, I can't even remember. But I know I did like, I know in sixth grade, we did The Wizard of Oz. Fifth grade, we did Tom Sawyer. Trying to remember. I started getting cast in leads though around fourth grade. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just knew I wanted to act. That was just that. Now you have to be funny, I guess, to be a stand-up comedian. What? When did you? Did, when did you learn that you were funny? In my teens. Yeah, I was the class clown in school, and um, you know, I won funniest grad in high school, and I worked at a place uh, in Sherman Oaks, California, with guys who were very, very funny. They really helped me find my funny bone. And when I was 20, I started doing stand-up comedy. I was a kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't imagine, like, overcoming the fear to stand up in front of people and, like, try to do a comedy show. It certainly can be nerve-wracking. Like I said, it's only you. There's no one to save you. It's not like being in a play where if you forget your line, another actor on stage could sort of, you know finagle around until you get your place again it's not like that comedy it's just you <laughs> how do you prepare for something like that like talk walk me through like your first uh your first stand-up comedy show you rehearse you write you know you write material and then you yeah. have to learn it so you just right. rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it and rehearse it and the hard part about that is you're rehearsing something with no audience so you don't know where the laughs go I was going to ask you, who's your who's your audience while you're doing all this rehearsing? You're know, like, like a girlfriend or parents, or are you just doing it in front of the mirror? No, I was 20 years old. I was rehearsing in the bedroom. And, <laughs> and then uh, you go up and you do an open mic. And uh, it's nothing like the rehearsal process. Right. <laughs> and then the open mics become your rehearsal. How did it go? How was your first show? 
I had a great set my first time on stage, but that's not because I was good. I was not good. But there's this weird thing in stand-up, and I've talked to a lot of people about it. And a lot of guys I know had that experience. It's like a beginner's luck sort of thing. Like I went right. on stage the first time I did stand up and I, I really had a great, I really had a great five minutes, yeah. but then for the next year and a half, I just died all the time. Oh no. <laughs> because it, it's very, very hard and it takes a while to figure out what you're doing. But yeah. I think the first time through your adrenaline is really, really pumping. And, yeah. uh, I think that had something to do with it, maybe. I don't know. But there's this weird thing in comedy where your first time on stage, you usually do really well, and then you just wind up eating shit for like the next couple of years. That's right. <laughs> What's that like, man, to to go, you know, to come off the high of having the, um, you know, very successful first show like you're talking about, and then, as you said, just die for the next two years? Is it discouraging? Yeah, it's frustrating. More, frustrating. I'm a guy. I'm a guy who um, who doesn't quit at stuff. Like if I'm trying to do a puzzle or fix a chain on a bicycle or whatever it is, like I don't yeah. quit until I have it perfect. Like that's just always been. I've always been that way. Right. And so uh, it was really frustrating. And I had a you know I had a couple of problems with the art form of stand up comedy at first because I was an actor. And I was training as an actor right. and I had been on a soap opera and I had done a lot of theater. So I'm watching all these really good stand-up comedians at night at a comedy club. And I can't right. figure out what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, what are they doing? How does that work? And so I was going on stage as an actor trying to do stand-up comedy and I was acting like I thought stand-up comedies were stand-up comedians were supposed to act. Right. You know, and so that really got in the way of my development. You think like blood, the audience, people like have a sixth sense for things when people are like flowing naturally or people are just like putting, putting on, I guess. Maybe you think that's true. Well, of course there, that's very, very true. There's a, there's an old saying in stand-up. <laughs> And that is, if you're dying, it's hard to save yourself. So just have fun dying, and the audience will have fun watching you. Right, because they can smell blood in the water, man, I'm yes, sure. They can. And you only have two choices. Johnny Carson was the best at dying. Nobody died better than Carson. And the reason he was so good at it was because when he was going down with the ship, he enjoyed going down. So the crowd would then laugh at that rather than sit there and feel bad and go like, Ooh, he's not, he's not doing well. I feel bad for him. Look, he's sweating up on his forehead. And it's a, you know what I mean? If you're going to eat it, eat it big. <laughs> then at least the crowd is still getting a show. Right. But if you're trying to save yourself from dying and you know, you're dying and then that, knocks your feet out from under you and then you start stuttering and you don't know what to do. The crowd will start to feel bad for you rather than, you know, be on your side. They're more like they become sympathetic. And the last thing in the world you want as a comedian is a sympathetic crowd. If you started doing stand-up comedy when you were 20 uh, and uh, I, I'm assuming that you're around my age, you've been doing this for a very I'm long time. I'm 108. How old are you? Because, <laughs> you, you know, you're just talking about stuff from my generation. You know, all this, all these re references you're making. All right. People are all from my, my generation, especially the Johnny Carson reference. You know, I grew up watching Johnny Carson. Who was some of your, like, uh, comedy idols? Well, let's see. Um, Lenny Bruce, of course. Carlin, Pryor. I think those are like your goats right there. Uh, I love Chris Rock. Elaine Boozler, one of the funniest human beings ever born. Lucille Ball, of course. Oh, yeah. Got Carol you. Burnett, I think, is one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, these are definitely some uh, some OGs. You know, I grew up listening to like, like a couple you mentioned uh, – prior and i loved eddie murphy too uh you know i liked eddie murphy but i always liked prior better steve martin 
When I was a kid growing up, I had Steve Martin's albums and I used to listen to like, let's get small and wild and crazy guy. And I just thought that that was just so funny. My God, Steve Martin used to make me laugh so hard when I was in like junior high and high school. Cheech and Chong. (laughs) I was a big fan of Cheech and Chong, had those albums too. I thought 420 today, man. We got a riff on that a little bit, I guess. Mm. Well, happy 420 to everybody getting happy. (laughs) So I got to ask if you're a stand up comedian from that era in LA, all these people that we just talked about, I'm, I'm guessing that you've had some interactions with probably some, if not all of those people. Oh yeah, for sure. When I started, uh, there were not a lot of comedians. It it was a totally different industry and everyone was accessible. And so like you'd be in the back of the club and I was with like Keenan Ivory Wayans and Rich Jenny and Damon Wayans, Paul Mooney, you know, it was just, it was a totally different time. You know, I used to hang out with Sam Kinison when I was was first starting out. Everybody would go to Sam's house for parties. And Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it sounds really romantic and glamorous. (laughs) Uh, Romantic, maybe glamorous, not so much. I get it. I get it. You know. What's that lifestyle like, man? What's the lifestyle of a comedian like? Well, if you're a working professional stand-up, you're on the road a lot. And that's the job. Yeah. That's the only way to pay your bills is you got to go out on the road and make money. And the only way to, you know, make money is work in comedy clubs. And you don't really make money in L.A. You don't really make money in New York City. They're more showcase rooms. So you have to go on the road. And that lifestyle is, you know, it, it used to be when I first started going on the road in the late 80s, 90s. It was a, a different world and it was like being a Beatle. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. You'd go on the road, you'd meet people. They'd be excited to meet you. You're from Los Angeles. You're a stand-up comedian. You know, there were all kinds of substances and all kinds of, you know, invitations and getting up at 6 a.m. to do morning radio. And, you know, it was just, um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for a guy, you know, for being in my 20s and 30s. Yeah, and running around the country. Yeah, you know, to telling jokes like. I, what were some of your What's some of your uh, most memorable experiences? Do you have anything that really sticks out that you could talk ooh, about? Yeah, a lot. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that sticks out. I spent five years touring with Mitch Hedberg, and oh, wow. yeah. yeah, Mitch was one like my best friend, and so we had all kinds of fun experiences. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it was uh, it was. It, it, at times it was like a nonstop party, you know, it was like being in the grateful dead. And then, you, you know, and, uh, Kansas city, Missouri was always a good time. Always. Um, man, they used to wreck me in Kansas city. <laughs> when you yeah. go to a city like that, do you do like multiple stops in a city or are you just going showing up and doing? Like no, that? when you work a city, it's pretty understood that for that week or those two weeks, you're working that club. And if there's I, a competing club, they don't want you working them back to back. I gotcha. Yeah. Cause yeah, that diminishes your value to the club. Yeah. I'm just thinking about being in the comedy entertainment industry in the late eighties and through the nineties you know, my own personal experience with the late 80s and early 90s was, you know, just frenetic, if you had to put a word to it, man. I mean, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I was there. I experienced all of that stuff you're talking about. And I have no connection to the entertainment industry at all. I'm sure it was just like turbocharged for you. <laughs> it was. People showing up, invite you to go out back, you know, out the back of the club after the show. And, you know, and of course, I'm a, you know, I love music and I am a big Grateful Dead fan. So I would be out and I would be going to Grateful Dead shows in cities where yeah. I was performing. It was just, it was a very, very free form lifestyle. So let me ask you this question. You know, a lot of people that were from our generation that were in that kind of environment fell prey to the drug, sex, rock and roll, you know, trap, man, and kind of like blew their lives up. 
or burn their lives to the ground? How'd you avoid that happening to you? I just didn't do quite as many drugs. <laughs> right on. I don't know. Yeah. I have no, believe me, there's days yeah. I ask myself, how did I come through that and still be this guy? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a different, again, you try to explain to people, it was a totally different time. And yeah, uh, if you didn't live through it, it's almost impossible for people to understand what that era was like, you know? Yeah. Um, There was a lot of, look, there was a lot of partying. Yeah. And uh, when you're young, your body bounces back a lot easier. (laughs) Right. So, uh, you know, that was part of it. And, you know, I always tried to take pretty good care of myself, you know? Sure. I would run or walk or work out, or, you know, and I was, I was a very healthy eater, believe it or not. With all the unhealthy things I was doing, I was a very healthy eater. I was a vegan for most of the 90s. Right. Uh, I started around maybe 88-ish, 89. Oh, wow. I stopped eating meat and yeah. maybe 87, 88. And I was vegan for about 15 years. So I think that that helped counterbalance the other garbage I was putting in my body. Yeah. I was thinking about like Pryor and even Sam Kennison, man, like Pryor was such, you know, he got like spooled out on crack and then Kennison, I think like drank himself to death or something. I'm not even. Oh, he was in a car accident. He got killed in a car accident. He was hit by a drunk driver. I gotcha. I gotcha. I don't know the history of it all, but I know like like a lot of those guys struggled with all of that stuff. There are a lot of guys who did, uh, you know, and paid the price for it later on and, you know, passed off this earth at a younger age. I have a lot of friends, you know, who did, Um, you know, uh, the great Mitch Hedberg, of course, John Panette, uh, Greg Giraldo, you know, there is a, there's a, you know, there's a litany of guys who just, you know, you get trapped in a certain sort of lifestyle and it's hard yeah. to, you know, it's hard to navigate out. What's it like, you know, so you roll up into the city, you're working this club, you're in the city for four or five days. Like, what's your life like? You just could be one day. It could be one day. Sometimes you roll into a city on Tuesday, do a show Tuesday night, leave, drive three, four hours to go somewhere else for Wednesday night. Then you might be Thursday, Friday, Saturday in one place. Or sometimes you would roll in and you work like Tuesday through Sunday at a comedy club in Detroit, for example. So you, uh, you know, you kind of uh, you pitch camp and, you know, you do local stuff. I used to like to find uh, interesting museums you know, not art museums, but I would see what local places have. So I've been to like the Matchbook Museum in Oxford, Michigan, and I've been to the, uh, oh yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff like that, you know. Sure. Yeah, the world's full of weird, interesting places and things to do when you're traveling around like that. And you meet locals and the locals take you out and about, you know, people immediately, you know, sometimes it's staff from the comedy club or locals who see you and they want to be friends with the guy, you know, who's from Los Angeles or whatever. And they offer to take you around sightseeing and, you know. Are you still traveling? Do you do that today? How do you? I do. uh, I do. You still travel, not as much as I used to. Uh, since the pandemic, the business has changed a lot. Um, yeah. But uh, and my life has changed a little bit, and I'm you know I'm working on a couple of different projects that I can't really just be gone all the time right now. But I do love the road. In fact, next week I'm going to Oregon for uh, one, two, three, I think four or five shows, Wednesday through Saturday. Nice. Yeah. Now, how does that work? Do you have like an agent that works for you that books you for this stuff? Or are you just known in the community? So like clubs know who you are and they just, how does that, how do you get booked for something? It's a combination of both. Yeah. It's a combination of both. Yes. It's relationships you've made over the years, people you've worked for. And then, you know, if you're lucky enough to have an agent or a manager who can get on the phone for you and make calls as well. Yeah. Right on. How's the lifestyle changed from those days we were talking about in the 80s to 90s to like the lifestyle of it now? Well, um, (laughs) it's a lot less. Well, for me, I can't speak to everybody, but for me, um, I'm not like out till three in the morning, you know, getting dizzy drunk every night. 
And, uh, you know, I'm older. I, you know, I just, uh, I do a little more writing on the road, work out on the road every day when I'm out, if I can. Uh, I do collect wine now, so I do like to find wine tastings. Oh, nice. Uh, which is something that, you know, makes the time go a little faster. But it's not as, you know, different women and partying and, you know, that whole vibe that it was back in, you know, my 20s and 30s. Of course. Yeah, yeah. that was just, it was like being a rock star. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of like very similar vibes, right? You know? Look, if there's something women like, it's a guy with a sense of humor, you know? Funny like, guys. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there's nothing to be said for that, you know? A sense of humor will take you a long way in the world, won't it? Apparently, yeah. Or to get you beat up. <laughs> That's true, I, I like to say that I like to say that everything I got grounded for, kicked out of class for, or beat up for, I now get paid for. That's what's up. <laughs> oh man! Well, you must be good at it. it. Sounds like you're pretty successful at it. How do you? So how does it? Are you? You? So you're working as a comedian. You have a podcast. Tell me about your current life. So my current life is really awesome. I'm having a lot of fun these days, just being awake. Um, I'm engaged to an amazing woman who is also uh, in the industry. She's a, an actress and a very, very funny stand-up comedian. And uh, we do a podcast together. Her name is Sarah Halstead. And uh, we do a podcast together called Drinking During Business Hours. Awesome. And uh, we basically interview really fun, interesting people, celebrities, you know, just people that we think are make good interviews. And basically, it's an interesting conversation with an interesting bottle of wine. And so we, I'm doing that and I'm still doing a lot of stand up and auditioning. And, you know, I do some voiceover work here and there. And I'm in the process right now of developing a, uh, a uh, limited docu series for a streaming network, and um, you know, just uh, trying to—you can't just be a one-trick pony anymore. The business has changed a lot, and so you have to, you know, you got to put your finger into a lot of different pies. Yeah, I love your uh, podcast concept, man. I, uh, I, you know, I just found out about you guys and. Uh, listen to a show you guys are you guys are very interesting and funny what what got you into the podcasting how'd you get how'd you jump into that well i used to have a video podcast that was done out of the john lovitz comedy club this is before the pandemic before the club closed and that was called the grapes of laugh and the concept there was basically it was like a one hour late night conan o'brien style talk show with guests but we'd open four bottles of wine <laughs> and we would taste different wines during the show. If you can't pick up a pattern here. Um, <laughs> right. I get it. <laughs> so that was my first actual podcast. And I did that one for maybe six or eight months uh -huh. and then the club closed and they never rebuilt the podcast studio anywhere else. And I just sort of let the idea of podcasting fall by the wayside. Then um, Sarah, I had been asking Sarah to be a guest on her podcast, and she finally <laughs> agreed to let me come on. And uh, we just had really, really good chemistry in the studio. Yeah. And she asked me if I wanted to do it with her. And I was really flattered, and it was an honor because I really like, I think she's such a great, like a really great interviewer. She asks really good, pointed, poignant, well thought out questions. And um, so I felt like it was a, it was a good match and it was something that I would be proud to be a part of and have my name on. Yeah. And you guys have uh, quite a few shows. You guys have been doing this for a while. It looks like she's been doing it for a lot longer than I have, but together, you know, we've already, we've done a pretty fair amount of shows already together too. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I never thought about being a podcaster until about a year ago. And, um, you know, I got into, I got into podcasting kind of a weird way through like the NFTs, crypto and art scene and uh, it, it just gave me the idea that I really just like talking to smart, interesting, funny people, you know, mm. 
and like just finding out about different people's lifestyles, backgrounds, what makes people tick. You know, is that your day gig? Do you mostly like trade in NFTs and crypto? Is that what you do? I don't, man. Actually, I'm a, I'm a collector of NFTs and you know, uh, crypt, you know, I'm into crypto and I'm very plugged into the art scene of of that world. But my day job, I'm a general contractor, man. I'm a home builder and uh, renovation contractor. Down Interesting. Here in I'd like to pick your brains a little bit about N- NFTs. You know, off. You know, at some to- at some point, I do have one coin, so. You know, to me, it sounded like a pretty good investment. Well, I mean, you know, you can't you can't win if you don't play. It's because this is like playing the lottery, right? Exactly. Yeah, man. So, besides your podcast and besides your stand up comedian comedy, what else are you working on right now? Um, developing a show. It's a docu series about a very famous person and a specific oh, wow. uh, period of their life, not the whole life story because it's already been done as a movie how do you get and into doing something like that i just have been sitting on this idea for many years and i was you know with a, a guy i know who's a producer and a director and he's made a lot of movies and oh, wow. i pitched it to him one day that's very cool man is that that's so a docuseries would you that would be like uh like something like that would go on netflix in a series or something yeah like, that. like a limited you know six part seven part kind of thing about this specific aspect of this person's life oh, and interesting. So I'm working on that and yeah. uh you know still just auditioning and you know doing comedy and i host a monthly comedy show here in la and um do you work with other comedians like you've been in the business for a long time is it something that you do you do you help other people how do you are you like a mentor or a teacher or anything sure like i mean i don't teach a class i did i i, I taught one comedy class years ago uh-huh. i'm thinking about teaching an acting for comedians class for comedians who want to learn to act yeah you know sure so that just is a new idea that I recently had, but um, you know, I mean, a lot of comedians to make that bridge from com- comedy to acting. It's Some two totally different stuff. skill sets. You know, it's like being yeah. a painter or a professional chess player. Yeah, you know, it's just two different skill sets, and they're not really related. Acting skills can come in handy. Uh, doing stand-up if you, you know, are doing characters or what's called an act-out, you know, where you do a little, almost like a scene in your act, you know. And um, yeah, in that particular case, I think acting ability comes in, but I think they're just two vastly different skill sets. Yeah, I could totally see, I could totally yeah. see that. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, I do work with other comedians and you know, occasionally like some friends will come over or whatever and we'll, you know, sit around and, hey, what do you think of this joke? Is this working? No, you should switch these yeah. words up or find a funnier number or, you know, you got too many syllables in that. We got to get, you know, we got to find new words, you know, stuff like that. Hedberg and I used to do that a lot together. You know, that, just, that, that seems like a very hard part of your job as a comedian, like just like coming up with the wherewithal to make yourself sit down and just kind of out of thin air, create jokes, you know? Oh my God. It's the hardest thing about it. It For me, it's like pulling teeth, you know? Um, I, I hate sitting down with a piece of paper and a pen to try to formulate something, you know, organically that, you know, out of thin air that way. I prefer to, you know, a lot of times with comedians, you'll be you'll be in conversation with somebody. You just be talking and you'll say something and you'll be like, oh, that's funny. I got to write that down. And then you have a uh, like a boilerplate for a potential bit. You know what I mean? You'll, it'll be it'll kind of like it'll kind of like stem off of one joke that you wrote in conversation and then you write that down with a couple of notes as to where you think the bit might be able to go. Some people then sit down and write it out. Other people take the idea onto stage and sort of riff it out. I guess the the discipline is the discipline is recognizing when you say something funny and then having the wherewithal 
to like actually write it down and save it. Cause yeah. I mean, I'll say something right now that's funny. And then five minutes from now, I wouldn't be able to remember what it was. It's know? one of my big failures is that I'll say something. My fiance will be like, write that down. And then I'll be like, okay, I'll do it later. And then I either forget or I forget what it was. The other day I said something at the table and she was like, that's really funny. Write that down. And I said, all right, I'll do it later. Five seconds later, I got a text from her with the joke. She texted me the joke <laughs> to make sure I didn't forget it. Right. Which you was, got her. <laughs> no, please. I, you don't even have to tell me how lucky I am. I can't even imagine what I ever did so good to uh, have a woman this incredible. Oh man, that's a very that's yeah. Very nice. He's quite a great partner. Sound like a lucky guy. I like once again, <laughs> I, I I totally got the better of this deal. Oh man, well I'm, that's very nice of you to say. For well, I was just having an idea, man. Have you have you have you heard about AI? Do you know what AI is? Um, artificial intelligence. Yes, yes. what I've been yeah, faking my way through life with for the last forty years. It's like blowing up right now. Like everything I turn on is AI, man. Maybe you could have AI write, write jokes. I never know. I'm not a fan of robots. I don't get food delivered with the robot delivery guy. I'll no. never own a self-driving car. And I'm <laughs> never, ever going to use chat GPT. There'll be no AI writing my material. <laughs> no. no, you're not into it. No, I miss my dial phone. <laughs> the world is moving very fast, my friend. It's yeah, I'm not a big fan of it to be honest with you. There's certain things I really do miss about, you know, less technological ages. I read a sign on front of a I read a sign, I saw something somewhere that said we were much it said something to the effect of when our phones were chained to the wall, we were much freer. 100% true. Hundred percent true. I mean, I remember. It is true, man. Isn't that really true, though? I remember in the nineties, I was bogged down with a beeper. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, like, what happened to the days of going out? You live your life, then you come home and check the machine. Yeah, those days are those days. Don't you know, understand. that was a much to me. That was a much more exciting life to lead because your head was in the present. You weren't constantly thinking about, oh, what is this? And I got to check my social media. Did I get any emails? And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I mean, you, yeah, you don't really yeah. have a choice because everybody wants things done immediately now. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, you know, people are offended if you don't respond to their text or calls or emails within minutes now, you know? Yeah. Especially in my business, man, in the construction business, man, I got people that just want, you know, they want, you know, answer right this second. <laughs> I, literally, I, got a, I got a phone call. I got yesterday, somebody called me about a business thing. And they called me, they called me, I didn't answer. They called back, I didn't answer. They called back. I mean, this is consecutive, just in a row. They called three times. All right. I called them back and they were like, um, hey, I'm calling about X, Y, and Z. Well, I go, did you just call me three times in a row? And I was like, well, yeah, you didn't answer. And I said, do you want me to tell you why you didn't answer? She goes, well, I'm just not used to people not answering. I said, I was in the bathroom. <laughs> I was busy, man. <laughs> I know, man. I was I busy. Yeah, I did. You know? So you're not people a fan. Check, people don't even check their voicemails anymore. Like no. leaving a voicemail for somebody, like, no, I never got your voicemail. Well, did you check it? No, why didn't you just text me? I left you a message. So I got my voicemail set up to where if you leave me a voicemail, it just sends me a text, like of my voicemail. Right. Yeah. Because you got to get that message right away. <laughs> well, I I don't like listening to voicemails. I'd rather read it than listen. Right. To yeah. But mostly the sound of people's voices on voicemail annoy me. Do you want to hear something funny? 
Yeah, I do. While I was telling you that story, I got a phone call from a 216 number that I don't recognize. Uh-huh. They called twice. It must be really important for them to call twice. Well, 216 is, I believe, is a Cleveland or Ohio. Do you ever go to Ohio? Oh, I've worked Ohio a lot. Yeah. My wife's from Ohio. I've worked all over Ohio, from Columbus to Cleveland to Ashtabula to, I mean, yeah, I've worked all over Ohio. What's the comedy club capital of the United States? Where's Where's the place where the most comedy is? With the on? most comedy clubs? Yeah. What, what do you think is like the most comedy place in in the U.S. that you go to? Um. Well, again, you know, New York City is probably one of the best comedy cities in the country. They have a lot of clubs. Sure. You can do several sets in a night. Right. Um. So I would think New York is probably one of the best. There used to be a um, comedy club here in Charleston, but I don't think it's here anymore. I haven't heard of it in a long time. Yeah. I used to work Raleigh-Durham. There was Charlie Goodnights. Yeah, that's a little bit away from me. That's like about right. four hours or so by car. Right. And it's and somewhere I really normally Charleston, I, In Charleston, I worked a club called the Comedy Zone. The Comedy Zone. That's exactly. Yeah, this is yep. funny. Do you remember that? I can remember. It, yeah, the Comedy Zone used to be here in Charleston, and it's not here anymore. It's gone. Yeah, that was even Greenberg club. club. There were like twelve of them. Yeah, the and thing that they have here is the same. They have like this improv theater now here in Charleston, right? Which is kind of funny. I don't know. Do you ever do that kind of comedy? The improv comedy. I studied improv at Second City. Wow. Yeah, I like comedy improv, right? It's a lot of fun. And again, totally different muscle than stand-up. Yeah. But I do like doing, I do like doing improv. Yeah, they have a, they have a theater here in Charleston. It's, it's actually pretty funny. They're, they're pretty funny. I've been doing it a couple times. Like some friends had a birthday party there not too long ago. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting dig gig for sure where else do you like to go in the u.s um i love oregon i'm excited to go back next week it's such a beautiful place i like washington state i like chicago um i like michigan i mean the midwest is really nice yeah Um, hawaii of course is great alaska these are really beautiful picturesque places with great uh you know with you know, comedy clubs. And uh, in fact, my fiance and I are putting a dual act together now, you know, a la Burns and Allen. <laughs> and uh, so we are thinking about going on the cruise ships. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even think about that aspect. Have you, have you worked cruise ships before? Uh, not for years. Yeah. And uh, I was never a cruise ship guy. No. Yeah, I've only been on one cruise in my life, and I, I forgot that cruise ships have com- a lot of comedians go on cruise ships. I guess I don't really know how that works. Do you just do like a residency on a cruise ship for a while? It's not so much a residency. You get in with the cruise line, and then they uh, they book you accordingly. Oh, okay. That makes good sense. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting way to see the world. I don't know if I'd want to be trapped on a cruise ship for that long, though. Well, you know, it's a free vacation. Everything's free, so you're not spending your money while you're there. That's true. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of advantages. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. All the food you can eat. Yeah, that's another one. It's got a lot of advantages. Yeah, that sounds really cool, man. What uh, what what inspired you two to put together like a dual comedy show like that? It was just a fun idea and a way to get on the cruise ships. Yeah, That's have you practiced it at all? Have you done it in front? Have you done it anywhere yet? Um, we ha- yeah, we've gone up a few times, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Right and we, you know, we've we're we're ahead of the game, in my opinion. And yeah, you, uh, you don't really see that too often. I have, I can't think of any time where I've seen like two comedians on stage like that. No, not so much anymore. Yeah, there's not, there's really not a lot of team comics. The Sklar brothers, 
are probably the only guys I can really think of that are working together. Right. Um, right. So I think there's a market for it. I generally, I genuinely think there's a market for it. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. I uh, I wish you guys uh, a lot of success with that. That sounds pretty awesome, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I uh, I'd love to catch uh, one of your shows sometime, man. <laughs> how well, do, how, how do people find out like wh- where you're playing and what you're doing? Oh, my website is richardchassler.com. Okay, and all my socials are at Rich Chassler. All right. What would surprise people about the, the, the comedy club stand-up lifestyle that, that I'm not thinking about, something that I haven't asked you? Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to mention? What would surprise people about being a stand-up comic that they wouldn't normally think about? Yeah. Um, it's really, really, really hard to master the craft takes yeah. a long, long time to get really good at it. Um, that's one thing. Uh, what else? It's not such a big party anymore. <laughs> right. You know, it's not such a big party anymore. And... Um, uh, Is that because of COVID? Well, COVID partially, but also because, you know, it's times have changed and what's socially acceptable now has changed and... You know, uh, I didn't really ask you about that, man. I, I, I'm kind of glad you just mentioned that. Like, you know, things that comedians could say in the 80s, 90s, even the early 2000s, it seems like you can't say stuff, certain things anymore. I, I don't subscribe to that. Yeah. I just don't. I'm, you know, I'm not up for censorship and, um, I am. I consider myself to be very liberal, but not so much to the point where I've become conservative. Right. You know, and uh, I just don't believe in censoring. And art is art. And if you don't like the art, don't look at the art. If you don't like the song, change the station. If you don't like my jokes, the exit door is in the back. That's one of the things that make that makes America awesome. Is that you have a choice of what you want to listen to and what you don't want to listen to. But if you love country music and you hear rock and roll on the on the radio, then all of a sudden you're going to get mad at the musicians for playing rock music. So you want to cancel them? No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I agree with you 100. Percent, man, you know? has, that, has that been a has that been a struggle at all as a comedian, as a working comedian, to like kind of find your balance there and like? Oh I mean, well, I- again, I'm not a guy who dances on that line. I do what I want, and I say what I want, and if somebody's got a complaint about it, I'll tell them what I just told you. And don't right listen on. to comedy. Uh, I love that, man. You Stand up. up. Yeah. And just don't listen to my comedy. If you don't like Rembrandt's work, don't look at Rembrandt. Go look at Gauguin or look at Cezanne or, you know, look at, you know, you don't like Mozart, listen to Bach, you know. But you don't get to, to tell artists that they have to create art to your liking. Fully it's offensive. Yeah, I fully it's, agree with that. It's yeah. literally offensive. I don't know how all of that works. You know, I, I, uh, I, you know, I totally respect what you're saying. And I, I think that, uh, you know, it says a lot about you that you're, that you stand up for yourself that way. I think that's exactly what everybody should be doing. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, we just live in this kind of crazy world now, man, where it's like, you don't know what, <laughs> you know, you don't like you could say anymore, man. It's kind of hard to know, you know, people very- forgot, people forgot that it's actually okay. To laugh at yourself. Yeah. Yeah. How do you learn how to do that, man? How do you learn how to laugh at yourself? How do you learn how to do that? I think it's not learning how to do it. I think it's more an understanding that you have to adopt. That you just, you can't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. You know, because we're all, it's like Lenny Bruce said, we're all the same asshole. (laughs) 
<laughs> we're all just trying to do the same things every day. We're trying to keep food on the table. We're trying not to get fired. We're trying to maybe take a vacation. We're trying to fall in love. We're trying, you know what I mean? We're all just trying to get through life the same way. So what makes you more important than anybody else that you need to take yourself so seriously that you're going to be offended by somebody trying to give you some laughs. I love that, man. Don't take yourself so damn seriously. Don't take yourself so damn seriously, man. You know, <laughs> life's too short to do that. Yeah. Definitely. You know, yeah. enjoy yourself and be conscious of your shortcomings and be okay with laughing at them. We all have them. Yeah, I think that's great advice. That's great life advice. And uh, if you, if people are listening to this and they're able to apply that to their life, you know, you find that uh, life would be a lot a lot easier. And it's I, and it's something I, I totally take to heart, man. I've you know had to do that in my own life. You know, you I, mean I totally you can't agree. fight everybody? You know? Yeah. No, man. <laughs> Pick a group. For me, I don't fight everybody anymore. I don't want to yeah. fight anybody, man. Like, yeah, I, you know. And if you have to pick one group, you know, for me, it's bad drivers. For me, it's bicyclists. There you go. So everybody's got something, but you know, you can't, don't, don't silence the artists. We're the ones that move society forward and, you know, crack open the thinking and, you know, but people don't want to think anymore. They don't want to be told to think. They don't want to be, you know, conscious of, you know, other people, they just want to live in their little bubbles. And that's one of the bad things that, you know, the internet has done. Yeah. The world is definitely changing, man. It's uh, you know, it's a, it's, it, and it's, and it's kind of wild to, to watch it from the perspective of, you know, the life that you and I came from, you know, right. is, you know, <laughs> growing up in the seventies and eighties and nineties, and man, it's just, it's a totally different world. You know, I look at my kids and they're the way they live and the way, you know, that generation thinks about things. It's just like, it's kind of mind boggling to me, man. <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. But I agree with you, man. Don't take yourself too seriously. Try to live life. And, uh, you know, I try not to hurt anybody and do no harm and uh, just try to, you know, just try to be happy, man. Right. Rich, man, it's been really interesting talking to you. We're at the top of the hour. I don't know if you have anything else that I didn't ask you that you'd like to say. No, not that, that I can specifically think of. But if you ever want to have me back, just ask. Maybe we'll come up with some new stuff. You got it, my friend. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate you. It was a really good time, man. Thanks for having me on Subculture. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Subculture with comedian Rich Chasler. Rich, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm going to drop a link to Rich's uh, website and socials in the show notes below. Please rate and review the show if you enjoy listening to it. And I'll catch you all out here again next week. Thanks for joining me on Subculture. Subculture.